Miracy. It's not even just about creating an impactful course. It's also making sure that it's really a viable business idea, right? It's an offer um, that is going to work. Hello, and welcome to Course Lab, the show that teaches course creators like you how to make better online courses. I'm Danny Eney, the founder and CEO of Miracy, and I'm here with my co-host, Abe Crystal, the co-founder of Rizuku. Hey there, Danny. So in each episode of Course Lab, we showcase a course and course creator who is doing something really interesting with their course. Today, we have the honor of welcoming Joel Irway to the show. Joel has crashed into the world of online courses with his revolutionary sales technique, and we couldn't be any more excited to have him here to talk about his course. Welcome, Joel. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited. So we've known each other for a while now, but for the benefit of everyone who's listening who might be like, Joel Irway, legendary? Who's this? What's your story? How did you come to be doing what you're doing? Like, give us the 30,000 foot view. My story revolves around webinars. Back in 2014, 2015, I jumped into the world of entrepreneurship, got interested in online marketing, didn't really know it was online marketing at that time. I just knew I wanted to launch a course. And I wanted to make my income online any way that I could by helping people. And so I had started out, I wrote a small little ebook targeted to engineers in the career development space, uh, specifically engineers who wanted to acquire the first part of their licensing exam. And so I had come up with a really unique way to pass that first part of the engineering licensing exam that helped me pass. And I gave it to some of my friends, helped them pass after they failed the first time. And so I'm like, you know what? Maybe this will be my big break. Maybe this will be my ticket to freedom. So I published this ebook on Amazon called 30 Minute EIT, How to Beat the Exam Without Beating Your Head. And I didn't know what I didn't know, but I published it. It did fine, but it's a very, very, very small niche. I, you know, I thought this was going to be my ticket to making millions, but there aren't very many people who take that engineering exam each year. So my market was just incredibly small. So after I launched that and realized, okay, this is not going to provide the income that I wanted, I started launching courses in that space. So I created a tutoring service for people who are, who are taking that exam. Then I created a course around the book. Then I created a course around how to advance your career as an engineer. And so as I started to do this, I started to realize, well, I have no idea how to market this thing. And so I you know, joined some coaching programs. I paid $10,000 to learn from who I felt you know, were some of the best people in online marketing space. And they all told me to run sales webinars. Before joining the online marketing space, I had been doing in-person sales presentations for my previous career as a sales engineer for, you know, commercial heating and cooling projects. And so I was very comfortable giving sales presentations and very comfortable, you know, writing the scripts and, and understanding what was supposed to happen in a sales presentation. So I said, okay, sounds great. Like, let's, let's rock and roll. And turns out I had a knack for these sales presentations. And so as I was part of this first mastermind that I joined, my mentor, Russell Brunson, he had been telling everybody to do webinars, and he still tells people to do webinars. And most people struggle with webinars. And I had kind of positioned myself as, hey, let's go talk to Joel if I need help with my webinars. And so I realized that there was a bigger opportunity for me to help other people with their webinars in the short term than there was in my own course at the time, because I was naturally struggling with learning how to run ads. And, you know, I had created a course for a target market that was relatively difficult to sell to. And so I decided to pivot 
and work with people to help them write their webinars to sell their courses. And that very quickly blew up for me in a good way. I started to gain a pretty solid reputation. The first client that I worked with, you know, he was selling about one course per week with webinars, uh, doing them live for $1,000 a piece. After the first webinar, I rewrote for him and I pitched it for him. We did 14 sales. And so um, that was kind of like the big aha moment for me that I need to really focus on this. And that's when I launched the agency. So since 2014, 2015, when I worked with that first client, I mean, we just we worked on hundreds and hundreds of courses and webinars and mini webinars and all sorts of different ways to promote market and sell courses. And uh, that's kind of the nitty gritty, the down and dirty, the short version of, uh, of my background. Awesome. And so what you're selling today, your program is called High Ticket Course. Is that right? Correct. Yep. So draw a line for us from you being the webinar guy to High Ticket Course. As we started to do more and more of these webinars, focusing on selling these courses at the end of the webinars, we started to realize like, okay, how do we increase our own customer success? Like, how do we make sure that we get more and more success for our customers? And so back in 2016, there was a big trend that was happening where people were using webinars to promote strategy calls, you know, book a sales call at the end of a webinar. And so we had some clients come to us and say, hey, this is what I want to do. And it's like, okay, that's fine. Like, it's not a huge shift to change your webinar into a strategy call webinar. And so we started doing that. And we started to get better results for our clients because it's easier for somebody to pivot their offer on a sales call and, and prescribe a more unique or custom offer or save a sale if your offer isn't perfectly dialed in than it is to like get everything dialed in on the direct selling webinar itself. And so we started doing more of these application calls and these ended up you know selling higher ticket programs, higher ticket courses. So we started to realize, okay, well, there's some opportunity with you know booking sales calls and we're seeing people sell $3,000 programs, $5,000 programs, $15,000 programs, $30,000 programs from these book a call webinars. And so we started to do that. We started to get lots of data and we started to have tremendous success doing that. I mean, taking people from zero to $100,000 a month in 30 days, taking people from zero to $400,000 per month in like three months. You know, it's crazy how that kind of changed the game for us. And we realized with our specific offer, with our specific webinar, that we were over-educating. Like our ideal audience already knew about webinars, already wanted a webinar, and just wanted help either getting one built in a done with you capacity or they wanted to hire somebody to do it for them. And we realized that we needed to make the offer first rather than at the end of the sequence. And so we had kind of flipped the entire model on its head with just a whim and a test. And so I said, you know what, let's do this. Let's flip that entire funnel on its head and let's make the offer first, meaning like in the ad, we're going to make a direct offer, a direct promise. And then we are going to say, hey, listen, if you want this, watch this pre-recorded video. We didn't call it pre-recorded video, but we, you know, sign up here, give us your information. We'll send you a quick 10-minute video of what we're talking about and how we can fulfill on this promise. And then if it makes sense, let's schedule a call and see if we can work together. And so we were up until that point paying about $450 per application per booked call. And this is back in 2016, which was a lot. Now we were still profitable, but most of our clients were booking calls between $100 and $150. And so we knew something was wrong. Once we switched to this model, which is a power offer and a mini webinar, a very short sales presentation, 
we dropped our application costs from four fifty to forty five dollars, like thirty five to forty five bucks overnight. So a ninety percent cost in reduction and really an increase in lead quality. Yeah. So high ticket course is really about the marketing method. Am I am I understanding that right? Um, it's not. Yes, we talk about the marketing method, um, but there are a lot of people out there that really, you know, I wrote high ticket courses because when I first started in the webinar space, I had a lot of people come to me saying, hey, Joel, I hear you're the webinar guy. I have this course. I have this idea for a course that I want to sell for 300 bucks, 500 bucks, $1,000, right? And, you know, Russell says that you're the webinar guy, so let's work together. And they would come to me and their offer wouldn't be validated. Like it'd be a brand new idea. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But what is not efficient or effective is to spend all of this time and money building a very, very complex and heavy webinar funnel or a free lead magnet funnel, right? Most of these people who were coming to me, they had been kind of like bought into the idea of tripwires, free lead magnets, build the list, then the ascension model. And I, am of the mindset of like, listen, if you've got this course that you want to sell for $500 or $1,000, like let's create a high ticket version. Let's target the people who are willing to spend more money to get a more guaranteed result or a faster result. Let's get cash flow coming in the door. Let's validate the offer first. And we can do that very, very quickly without building one of these very heavy marketing machines. And let's create a high ticket version of that for a whatever it is. So let's get cash in the door first and then work our way down the Ascension model. So it's building a better model. It's not necessarily a marketing system. It's about building a better model and uh, a simpler model. So I'd love to hear more about how you deliver that instructional experience because on the face of it, 30,000 feet, you go to someone, it's like, hey, would you like to figure out how to tie your course into something people want so badly that they'd be willing to throw money at you? Yeah, of course, right? Like that's an easy yes, right? But then you explain the idea and some people are like, okay, got it, I'm off to the races. But other people are gonna be like, I don't get it. I still wanna teach a course about this. This is what it's about. And finding that right fit between their expertise and market demand is probably something you can do kind of on instinct because you've, you've done it so many times. But it's one of those implicit knowledge things that is very hard to convey to other people. So, you know, for the people who don't get it, how, how do you help them get it? Danny, that's an awesome question. And I don't know if anyone's ever asked that. And so I am going to do my best at, at trying to explain it. As course creators, like naturally, we love serving people. I would say like 80% of the course creator market is creating a course because they just love serving people. They love helping people, which is fantastic, right? We need more of them and we need as many as possible. The problem is that, you know, we can create a course and it can have all the value in the world. And if we don't really understand how to go about getting people to be excited about our course, about our program, then it doesn't do any good. Like if we can't get people to enroll into it, it doesn't do any good. And so when we are trying to get people to understand, like, is my course worth it? And am I going after the right audience? You know, we have to, we really have to understand that, like, if our approach is education-based marketing first, there's a strong possibility we are going to attract 
lower committed people, people who are, yes, they want content and they might think that they're interested in getting a result, but there's no skin in the game for them. Whereas, you know, when we lead with an offer and we speak to people who want to change their life, then we attract a different caliber of lead. And as a result, that can drastically change our entire business model. What a lot of course creators have in common is that they are like you in the business of teaching things that are hard for people to get. So I'm curious, like what happens when, you know, we all have the, you know, usually it's a minority of our students who just hear the explanation. They're like, got it. And they're off to the races. And those are like great for the case studies. But for all the others who are like, I don't quite get it. How do you get them over the hurdle? Yeah. When we focus on coming up with really our market development and finding the right target market for our course comes down, like we were able to distill it into this one sentence power offer, right? And if we can get this power offer dialed in and we can put this message out there and people respond positively to it saying, yes, I, I want to talk to you. That's the best indicator that we can have as feedback for our business that says, okay, great. I now have something that people want, okay? And people get nervous because when they think about refining their offer, they think they have to change their program entirely. And that's not the case, right? It's really just about refining their promise to a very specific avatar that has a very specific pain and relating your methodology to being able to solve those two things, that specific problem and for that specific avatar. And so once they start to think about it that way, like if they put an offer out there that doesn't get any response, like that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing because you aren't developing any more content to serve that offer and serve that promise, right? But we want to revolve our entire promise around your methodology to serve a very specific problem to a very specific person. And if we take that offer, like, you know, I help people become the best versions of themselves within 90 days using my unique methodology, whatever it is, right? And we change that to, hey, you know, are you a mom with three kids who wants to lose 10 pounds? And you're tired of all this, you know, fad dieting. Like if I offered to help you lose 10 pounds with you committing just, you know, 15 minutes a day over the next four weeks, you know, without crazy dieting, without all these restrictions, without whatever they're struggling with, would you take me up on that offer, right? That now becomes a more crystal clear promise. I'm using the same methodology that I've got, but I'm applying it to a very specific avatar. And that is one way that we can now refine our program, refine our messaging, refine our methodology to somebody who's more likely to respond. And so those are some of the exercises that we go through to help them realize, okay, my messaging is the most critical thing that I can get right. My offer is the the most critical thing that we can get right. And while I've got this methodology that a lot of people come to me and they say, this methodology can help everybody. It's like, well, when you help everybody, you help nobody. And let's start with one very specific subset of people that you can help, and then we'll work on expanding that. And so that's probably one of the most important things that people can do if they are trying to break through any market with their course or with their program. I guess really just the big remaining question for me is everything you say makes total sense. And I understand how you could absolutely walk someone you know, through that if you're coaching them personally or if your agency is, is guiding them through the process. I'm curious about, you know, how you've gotten people to adopt and apply this kind of significant shift in the way people commonly think about courses on their own. So are you doing this in a 
self-study model? Is there some degree of coaching or implementation support? And what are the challenges that you've encountered in getting people to actually adopt and implement this, you know, not just to understand it conceptually? Great question. Um, so in one of the most common things that course creators do is they over-deliver, like substantially over-deliver. A lot of people who create a course, like there's, there's different rules of thinking, right? They think, I'll just create a self-study course and sell it on autopilot. I'll give them no support, right? And that's the lowest value that anyone can provide. Not saying it's a bad thing. Like it all depends on what your goals are, right? You know, but it's like a book, you know, somebody reads a book, there's no support that comes with it, right? Or a DIY course, or there's time and place for everything, right? And so understanding, like I had this client three or four years ago, he came to me, he had an automated webinar that was doing very, very well, selling 120 units a month, I think, at a $1,000 price point. And he wanted to scale, but he couldn't really figure out how. It wasn't as simple as just spend more money on ads. And so he came to me and we were looking at all the components of his business. And I looked at his offer for that 997 offer. I'm like, well, you know, tell me more about this. Like, why are so many people buying it? You know, why is this so compelling? And essentially what he was doing was he was selling a very intense coaching program for 997. And so in addition to the training that he would give people, he would give them daily coaching with seven different coaches on his staff for a lifetime of support. And so he had to support seven different coaches who would each do a coaching call every single day with these students. Then he had a customer support team that would answer questions off hours, right? And I think there were two or three people on the customer support team. Then there was you know, all the marketing expenses that came in with it. Then there was the groups and the communities that he had to manage. And so he had basically set up this program that had no recurring revenue. And the only way that he could keep the lights on was if he kept pumping more and more sales every single month. And so inherently, he had designed a very broken business model. And when he realized, when I had talked to him and I said, you realize what you're doing here. I said, you are overselling and you're cannibalizing your offers. Like I understand you want to help these people. You have an emotional connection with this audience, with this avatar. And I understand that you want to do everything in your power to get these people results. And this is the most common problem that I see with course creators. Like they want to do everything in their power to get these people results. And I see a lot of course creators sell coaching programs for the price of what would be or what should be a DIY or self-paced self-study program. And you know, if there's one message that I can get people to really understand today is understand that each course can be broken up. Like you have to think about your course as a business model if you want to treat it like a business, if you want to make business-like income and, and design this like a real business, right? There's the DIY level, which is give them the training and let them implement it on their own with no support or maybe a community, right? Then there's the next tier that people will pay more money for, which is okay give me the training and then give me some sort of support with it, whether that's group coaching, whether that's email support, whether that's you know group calls, what have you. And then there's the top tier, which is either do it for me or let me get direct access to the guru or the most intimate level access of support that I possibly can. And those three tiers can be applied to just about every single course that's out there. And I see it time and time and time again, where people are selling a, their bottom tier program and they're giving 
top tier support to the bottom tier program and they're cannibalizing any other offers that they can possibly make to that audience. And while the numbers might look good initially, it's inherently building a broken business model and you're going to be burned out and not really know what to do. And what I would really hate to have happen is you regret serving these customers because it's not their fault that they bought into this program and now you're stuck serving them at a level that you just don't have the energy for anymore. And so when I get people to think about courses, I want to repeat again, I really want them to think about a business model and breaking up their course into two or three tiers or three levels of support because there are people who will pay extra and they are expecting to pay extra for a more premium experience, for a more premium level of support. And for those of you who are thinking about courses and you think of, you know, only think of a course as, you know, as that bottom tier, please rethink that and understand that if you give away everything for the lowest price possible, you are cannibalizing your business and it's a dangerous road. It's a very dangerous road and it's usually unsustainable. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Each question is like a little sort of mini presentation. <laughs> this is very, very thorough and in depth for our listeners. I mean, I feel like we covered so much ground, Danny. Was it, is there anything else that you want to ask? No, I think I think we've covered it. Um, do you want to do the readout? Yeah. Joel Orway, or as you may know him, the webinar guy, is a master at crafting high converting offers and helping experts scale their business. You can learn more about him and his high ticket courses at joelorway.com. That's joelorway.com. Now stick around for my favorite part of the show, where Abe and I will pull out the very best takeaways for you to apply to your course. Wow, uh, where to start? There's so much to talk about here. Joel kind of gave us a a, a masterclass and a a different model for thinking about uh, online courses. Well, and what I really appreciated was the emphasis on the business side of things. So both the the really strong leaning into the importance of viability, like financial viability for what you're doing. And of course, one way to do that is you have your $500 level offer, your $2,000 level offer, your $5,000, et cetera. You know, the other is just you charge more and make sure you're getting your margins. But I also thought the sequencing of rolling things out was really interesting and really smart, right? You start with not the really cheap course that isn't financially viable all by itself. You start with the most expensive version, which probably involves a lot more handholding, a lot more support, right? And then you go down the price ladder over time, which if you think about it, is how most product innovation works, right? Anytime you have a new product come onto the market, it's brand new, it's super expensive. And that high price point is what subsidizes all that research and development, whether it's the first smartphone, whether it's the first electric car, like, you know, they're all super expensive. And then as that R&D has been paid for and, you know, it starts being able to be scalable, the price can go down. But that's the order. You don't start with the super cheap version and then, you know, I'm going to add a more expensive version later. I think that's a really good takeaway for people who are listening to this. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that where people get stuck trying to apply that concept is they, you know, feel uncertain or scared that they'll be able to sell this more expensive offer right out of the gate. Like, what would you say to them? Or how should people, you know, think about that so they could potentially apply this model? 
Well, I found Joel's insights there were really valuable as well, which is it's not so much a matter of the substance of your course, which is something that course creators don't want to hear because we love the substance of our course. We love the ideas, you know, curse of knowledge type stuff, right? But it's the positioning of how that substance intersects with the needs and desires and realities of our target students, right? And so, you know, that kind of laser focus on boiling down your promise to what he calls the power offer. You know, if I could give you X without you having to do Y, right? Whatever those constraints are, would you want it? And having people raise their hand, something in that structure is also a bit of a challenge to course creators to think bigger and bolder in terms of what they're going to put on the table to create results for people. You know, I had a conversation with a student of mine in the last couple of weeks, and he came to me with the same kind of question that a lot of course creators have, which is essentially, you know, I've grown my coaching business to a certain scale. I want to continue to grow, but I don't have time. I'm spread too thin. How can I create a course that allows me to do less, essentially, right? They're looking at a course as a vehicle of reducing the quality of the experience for students, but, you know, it's a lower price point. So the math on that kind of works. And what I suggested is, what if you think about, instead of thinking, how can I do less? Think about, what would I do if I could do more? Because there's a lot of stuff that you may not be able to, you know, you might say, well, if I really wanted to make sure people were successful and time and money were no object, you know, I would call my students every week and make sure they're on track, right? But that's cost prohibitive. I could never do that myself. I'm so busy as it is. But if we think about, well, you know, I could hire someone that that's their job, you know, make this five-minute call, 10-minute call to my students every week. And, you know, how much is that going to cost me in terms of the salary of that one person against what I can justify charging for that whole layer of accountability built into the course, right? When you move away from this thinking of, I'm overwhelmed, I want to do less, and you start thinking of what is the most that I could do? How could I resource that? And what sort of a price would that justify because of the quality of the experience and the transformation? All of a sudden, that's where the possibilities for scale really get unlocked. And to Joel's point, that attracts the most serious students, which are the people that often we really want to work with. Yeah, really interesting. The other, like, it's such a mindset or paradigm shift, I think, for a lot of people. It also brought to mind for me the way that, like a lot of product designers, user experience designers will talk about the importance of how you frame the problem, right? Like not just jumping in and solving the problem, but how are you framing the problem in the first place? And it, I think what Joel was getting at is the way we frame the problem of how do you have a successful course and how do you like sell your course and, and make it sustainable and so on. A lot of times we're framing the problem in the wrong way. It's not about just like, I mean, it's definitely not just about creating a bunch of content, right? We've talked about that lots of times, but it's not even just about creating an impactful course. It's also making sure that it's really a, a viable business idea, right? It's, a, it's an offer um, that is going to work. But it, I think it's challenging for many people to shift that problem framing, right? We get very used to thinking about things in a certain way, like, oh, I have information, I need to convey it to people. So I need to build a course and sell it rather than, you know, flipping the problem around, which is essentially what Joel is telling us to do to get better results. So I don't know if you have any Jedi mind tricks to help people with the kind of mindset shift that's required to look at the problem in a different way. Well, I mean, the Jedi mind trick is to use somebody else's mind, right? You know, when you're, I love the line, you know, you can't read the label when you're inside the jar, right? When you're too close to the problem, too close to the training, the ideas, the opportunity, it's just very hard to get that perspective. But 
you know, working with a coach, working with a colleague, even working with a friend who understands well enough what you do, but they're not so close to it. And they listen to this podcast episode and they can be a thought and discussion partner can go a long way. Sometimes just having someone to talk through it out loud with who can push back on your thinking when they're like, eh, it doesn't quite make sense. You know, it may be clear in your head, but you realize, oh, actually, it's not clear out in the world now that I've said it out loud and I need to push back on it. So I'd say the Jedi mind trick is to use somebody else's mind. Nice. Well, I think that's it. Right, that's good for me. The, mm-hmm. Great. Do the, do the readout. Thank you for listening to Course Lab. I'm Abe Crystal, co-founder and CEO of RZQ, here with Dan Eaney, founder and CEO of Mercy. Course Lab is part of the Mercy FM podcast network, which also includes Just Between Coaches and Making It. This episode of Course Lab was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Jeff Gubberton assembled the episode. Danny Eaney is our executive producer. Another huge thanks to Joel Irway for coming onto the show today. Don't forget, you can learn more about Joel and his webinars at joelirway.com. That's joelirway.com. To make sure you don't miss the really great episodes coming up on Course Lab, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. All right, are you ready? Wait, what's my cue? It's a behind-the-scenes kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Just Between Coaches, the podcast that tackles difficult coaching conversations head-on. I'm Melinda Cohen, and your host for this show. I also know that I'm listening when, again, my mind is relaxed. So I can almost sense that I'm listening on multiple levels. That's a great frame. That's a, that's a really great way to think about it. Um, I think so, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, because I think that something that is very dangerous is for people to think that being a great coach comes from having the credentials. One has nothing to do with the other. So again, part of it is just you know, either through questions or asking what they've tried, or sometimes it's, you know, the forest for the trees thing. My favorite part of having the hard conversation is, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. So while I love what's on the other side, I think navigating through that conversation is my favorite part. Yeah. Because We're not there necessarily as coaches to provide solutions. We're there to guide our people towards solutions. And I don't know if it's, you know, societal pressure or peer pressure, but we don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing. I want to help and support coaches so that they can evolve into their greatness. My desire for the show is if I could scoop up all of the coaches and bring them into my living room and bring up the topics that leave crinkles in our forehead so that we can fully understand what it means to show up in our greatness, fully confident so that we can build better businesses, so that we can be better coaches, so that we can make a lasting impact on this world collectively. And we want to rise to that level. That being said, 
you do want to set yourself up and your clients up for success by making sure that there is clarity around their expectations and your expectations as to how you can help them. People have to know a little bit about what you offer. Otherwise, how do they know that they need what you can help them with in terms of that transformation? And I love having the conversations and navigating the topics that keep us at the forefront in a time with what I call the results revolution. Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to start by saying that this is a really good problem to have, right? So if you have someone who's resisting your price, it means they're really interested in working with you. The thing is, sometimes it becomes negative. It becomes toxic. I've been in the coaching industry for almost 20 years now. And over these years, I have seen everything behind the scenes in our industry, everything that works, everything that doesn't work. I've seen the evolution of our industry and of what it means to be a coach. I just want to say to all the coaches out there, you know, matching who you are to the kind of coach that you want to be is just a practice. Do you want to add some parting words? No, I think you did great. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. This is Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, this is absolutely the tone, the feel, the everything. Okay, so I'm going to stop the recording now. <laughs> Why are you stopping the recording? <laughs> this is going to be fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a wrap. That is going to be an amazing session.